grateful to see your handsome and or lovely faces. Um, if you would, you can, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to 1 Timothy chapter 3. As Rodney said, we're going to pick up where we left off last uh, week. And um, what we were looking at is, as Rodney also alluded to, is leadership. And before your heart disengages and you say, I'm not called to leadership, let me stick it to you and say, oh, yes, you are. Uh, because you cannot fulfill the purpose that Jesus gave his church without leadership, at least in the sense of influence, uh, which is the most basic type of leadership. So you do not have to have a position to be leading. Uh, but the great commission that Jesus gave the church, of course, Matthew 28, is, uh, is to make disciples of all nations. And let me ask you a logical question. Can you make disciples which is helping people to follow Jesus without influencing them. I heard some no's. Everybody agree? <laughs> Good. So therefore, you are called to operate in some dimension of leadership. And last week, what we looked at, what, or what, something that I shared at the end, was this sense of, uh, of many in Border City Church kind of living our lives at a lateral plane, as I call it. In other words, we're looking at the things of this earth. We're, we're, it's not like we don't care about God. We love God, but he's, he's there, and like i got to deal with this stuff. And we're living the actual practical daily basis of our lives, very much looking at what is happening here in this life, what needs, what needs to happen, what is happening, and, and that kind of thing. When it comes to the call of God, please hear me with this, it is a high calling. You cannot pursue a high calling looking this way. And Paul says that he's done all this stuff. He's given up everything to pursue the, as he calls it, high calling or upward call in Christ Jesus, which means we're looking up. And this morning and last week, I believe that the Lord in this season is calling those in this room to pursue a high calling. We're not praying that our... Husband's going to pursue the high calling, our sons and daughters. We all are pursuing a high upward calling and shifting our, our way of life from here to there. It's not that this doesn't matter, do you understand? You still have to pay bills. You do still have to go to work, and you have to change diapers. This stuff is real, but the gaze of our heart looking upward at Jesus as we do this stuff. And uh, this week, some of you may know, um, you know what, before I even share that, let's just pray. And let's ask the Lord. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord and ask him this morning to speak to our hearts with regards to the calling. The calling. So Lord, we do thank you that there is power in your word. And Jesus, you said on this rock, you will build your church. We're laboring in vain if we're doing it in our own strength. But Jesus, we recognize this morning you are building your church on the rock of a revelation of who you are. Lord, we pray that same revelation that came in that scripture to Peter. We pray this morning by that same Holy Spirit, not by flesh and blood, but by the Father through the Holy Spirit, you would give us revelation this morning. 
Cause our gaze, equip us to turn our gaze upward. Not, re- not releasing the responsibilities on this earth, but pursuing your high calling. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I mean, uh, this week, I was, uh, as I do every morning, I go into our guest room and I pace <laughs> and I pray for a long period of time. And um, I'm a pacer when it comes to praying. Not that I'm nervous, but I, anyways, I'm, I'm digressing. I was, I was praying and I was praying over this stuff that we're talking about as a church right now. And I was praying, Lord, you said, Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, you said to pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And so, Lord, I was praying, Lord, send out laborers. Lord, in Border City Church, praying that there would be those who rise up to become actual laborers in your harvest. Detroit's not going to be reached by praying that it's going to be reached. People need to go into the harvest and actually work and actually respond to your call. And I'm praying for that to be stirred in the hearts of your people. And as I'm praying this, I look out through my window and uh, kind of like across the street and beyond, I see this house and they're having, they're getting, the, the, it's being re-roofed. And uh, there was these two guys working out there and I just was struck at this site. Here it was early in the morning, and these guys are up on top of a roof, and they're working. And I'm looking out there, and I'm thinking, you know, they're not just like looking on the, si- looking on the sidelines, kind of like the bottom of the house, just looking up at that roof and kind of saying, yep, that roof needs to be re-roofed. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, that, re- that roof does need to be roofed. No, they're up there pulling the sleeves up, doing what needs to get done. And I've done some manual labor in my, in my time and didn't grow up doing manual labor, but I know what it is, college age, to, to start doing some hard labor. And I didn't know how to do it. My dad didn't train me, and I had to roll up my sleeves and just kind of figure it out as you go. And, I, and as I was looking out there at these roofers, I'm thinking, what about the church? Really about the church. How much of the church are si- simply on the sidelines? They're attending church coming to church but are we laboring and i mean and i I'm, I'm i'm talking about responding to the call of jesus in the harvest of making disciples are we looking at the roof thinking yeah boy detroit detroit needs to get saved yeah people the gospel needs to go out mm, people need to be discipled or are we laboring rolling up those sleeves and getting dirty And I want to say, I believe that's a picture for us. That roof is never going to get re-roofed as long as we're staring at it. It gets re-roofed when somebody gets uncomfortable and gives up on a roof and starts taking some shingles off and starts doing all the other stuff. They were out there. Yeah, I'm not even going to go in there. What we're looking at today and last week is qualifications for eldership. And the reason is because eldership and the qualifications thereof apply actually to every single follower of Jesus. Why would I say that? Because what is eldership? In its most basic form, eldership are those, do you remember how last week we looked at a leadership pyramid? And most churches have like a top-down leadership structure, leadership at the top, every, all you common folk here at the bottom. Remember how we said that? You can nod if you remember. And if, but if you don't remember, what Jesus modeled as a way of leadership is that it's a sideways pyramid. 
leadership is out in the front. Lateral plane, no one is better than anyone else. It's just that leaders are further ahead. And they're, they're not even leaders on the basis of them being so great. Leaders are simply following hard after the one who is great, Jesus. And the role of leadership primarily is this, following hard after Jesus and saying to the rest, come on, go this way, follow me. So if the qualifications of leadership are in that dimension, that context, don't we think that if we're following leaders— that we're, become, we're, we're receiving from what they have and becoming more like them as they follow Christ, becoming more like him, therefore these qualifications for leadership apply to every believer. It's just that leaders have to have these in place. All believers should want to have these things in place. Make sense? What I'm saying, guys, every person in this room is called. The whole church is called to walk in the anointing of God, and therefore these things that we're talking about, which are a part of you being an influencer or a leader in your life, these things that we're looking at, qualifications of elders, directly relate to you walking in what God's purpose for your life. And can I say, before we go on, we're about to crack into 1 Timothy 3.2, just let me say this. The this is not the right question to ask. God, what have you called me to do? It's not the right question. Sounds great. It, it, I mean, you're seeking God's call for your life. That is you focused. This is the right question to ask. God, what is your purpose? Jesus, what is your purpose? As you seek to discover what his purpose is, what his call is, and you respond and step out into that, as you do that, you're going to start discovering what your calling and purpose is but not because it's about you. This thing isn't about you. It's about him and it's about them. So don't start focusing on, God, what's my call? I, I need to know my call. No, just focus on Jesus and Jesus, what is your call? And I'll tell you in its most simplest form, the call is to make disciples, which brings us to where we left off last week. An elder then, at the very end of verse two, must be, skip all, everything to the last one, able to teach. Able to teach able to teach. This is not talking about having the gift of a teacher. This is saying that you have an ability on some level to communicate what God has shown you to other people in a way that they get it. This is important for every single person in this room. Why? Because all kingdom leadership and calling boils down to these two things right here. You ready for them? Modeling and teaching. Modeling and teaching. That's it. Where do I get that from? Acts chapter 1. Luke, who writes the book of Acts and also, of course, wrote the Gospel of Luke, starts the book of Acts, which is like a sequel to the book of Luke. And he says, in the former account, O Theophilus, the former account being his Gospel of Luke, talking about the, story, the, the, the life of Jesus. In, my, in the former account, O Theophilus, I wrote to you concerning all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. All leadership boils down to what? Modeling and teaching. Your calling can boil down to modeling, and I'm not talking about a runway model. Not everybody here can do that. No, every, all of y'all can do that, actually. Modeling 
and teaching. Modeling, how do we model? Model, this is how you model. You have a relationship with Jesus where you sincerely seek his will, and as he begins to move you and lead you, you do what he says. As you do what Jesus tells you to do, you're modeling something. Does that make sense? Second to that is as you're following Jesus and doing what he says and you're modeling something, in your growth you need to start helping others to do the same, which is to teach. That doesn't mean doing what I'm doing right now where you have to have a 40-minute lecture on the Bible. It means in your own way, the way Bob would, the way Nita would, the way your name is Josh, <laughs> the way Josh would, you explain what it is that Jesus has given you. And do you know the world is not going to be reached by, Detroit's not going to be reached by me or any other pastor Detroit is reached by the church. We all have something to say in so much as we're following the one with, who is the word. So are, is this making sense? It's all about modeling and teaching, and that basically means obeying and then teaching others to also obey. And come to think of it, the great commission of the church in Matthew 28 is this. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. What do you do? You baptize them. And you teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. Is this starting to kind of sound similar? That's the Great Commission. To teach other people, make disciples. How do you make disciples? You baptize them, which means you bring them to a point of faith in Jesus where they're making a demarcation point and saying, I'm following Jesus. And then from that point, we teach them whatever it is that Jesus has taught us. Do you know everything that Jesus would have to say? Anybody in here? Do I? No? So, but, so Jesus knows that none of us have it all, and yet he still calls all of us to do that. We are all works in progress, but as we're following Jesus and we're learning from him, we have something to share with others. And so why is this important for leadership? Obeying and teaching others is the commission. This is our whole collective calling, and all of this requires simple communication skills. That's what ability to teach really means. It means that you're not, blah, 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 blah. if you're going to be able to influence people, you've got to be able to communicate in a way that they understand. So I, I, we, we're not going to spend too much time on this, but I, could, I just want to say three quick things about ability to teach. You ready? Ability to teach isn't merely speaking. It's about being understood. And you know what that's going to require of you? You've got to think less about yourself as you're communicating and more about the person you're speaking to. Are they getting it? How can I say this not in the way that I want to say it, but in a way that they're going to understand? So that's one thing. Second thing is say as much as you can in as few as possible words. I don't often bring Stephen King into a sermon who wrote all the horror movies, but he did say something brilliant when it comes to writing. Let every word tell. Don't say any words that are frivolous and unnecessary. Say as much as possible in as few as possible words. Can I say another little key to teaching? Being able to influence others. Listening is important. 
people do not like you to tell them what to do and how to live their lives if they don't feel like you even understand what they're walking through. You're just downloading all the stuff that you know and none of it actually applies to their particular situation. And they'll nod and they'll smile, but they're actually irritated with you. Listen. Listen first. And I already said, think, think more about is the person, think more about what's being heard rather than what you're saying. Are they getting it? Not are you saying it well in your estimation? Are they understanding? These are little tips of how to influence people and be able to teach good things. You good? Moving on to verse 3. Did I? Yes, I did read verse, the end of verse 2. Next verse, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. Now, if you read that verse in the English, as your Bible presumably would be written, you're not going to catch what Paul is doing in the original language of the Greek. What he's actually done there is he's given three negatives, things that begin with not. Not given to wine, not greedy, sorry, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. Three negatives, and then the next three things that he says in that verse are all the corresponding positives that answer to those three negatives. Now, in our English Bible, it says not quarrelsome, not covetous. It, it still says not because there are no English words to be a positive, if that makes sense. But so here, here so I hope that makes sense. So we have three negatives that are answered by a corresponding positive, and I'm going to explain what we mean by that. The first one is not given to wine, and the, and the positive that answers to that is but gentle. Not given to wine, but gentle. The word, you may say, how in the world does gentle answer to not given to wine? Well, gentle, epia case, if you needed to know the original Greek word, or if you needed me to impress you, uh, <laughs> actually would mean moderate and appropriate. Now do you see the connection between not given to wine and gentle? It's actually moderate and appropriate. This has to do with leadership, my friends. Why? Because inappropriateness that is associated with being uh, given to wine limits your ability to influence others. That's one issue. A second issue is to lead others to Jesus. We need to learn to get what it is that we need psychologically and emotionally, not from wine, but rather from being filled with the Spirit. And wine is a very cheap, and wine as well as any substance that gets us intoxicated is a very cheap substitute for a provision God has given us called the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Where do I get that? Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, do not be drunken with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. I love how every time Paul tells us not to be drunk with wine, he didn't just leave it there. He gives us what to do instead. To be filled with the Spirit. And in this case, in 1 Timothy 3, he says, but moderation and appropriateness. In your call, our goal needs to be that we live lives that, that are moderate, not because we don't want to have fun, but because we don't want to go off the rails to where we start doing stuff that is going to injure our calling. Moderate and appropriate. 
Why is that? Because when you get drunk, I don't know if anyone in here has done that. I've got a PhD in it. Drunk and other substances. Of course, before I gave myself fully to Jesus, and this doesn't happen anymore, I know, I know what it is. It's a cheap substitute. So here's drunkenness brings dissipation, as Ephesians 5 says. And if you don't know what dissipation is, because most people don't use that word, it would mean debauchery, excess, and self-indulgence. And so the issue is this. The Bible does not say to, you cannot drink alcohol. If that offends you, I'm, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm just saying the Bible never says, prohibits believers exclusively for, or explicitly from drinking alcohol. But many times it says things about not being intoxicated. That's the issue. Your calling needs you to learn to draw from the Holy Spirit in those moments where, boy, that second cup of wine, glass of wine sure could be helpful, or, man, I just feel like I... It's in those moments where we need to learn Jesus as a higher way for me. I'm not going to go further into that. Let me just say, leaders must have joy from spiritual infilling, not substances. The next one, not violent. Not violent, and the positive that, that corresponds to that is but peaceable. Not violent, but peaceable. The, trend, the word not violent would also mean striker, ready for a fight, or quarrelsome. A striker is obviously somebody who strikes. That was a left hook, if you were wondering. Let me ask, our, let me ask us to ask ourselves a question. Do we get sucked into arguments and quarrels? I don't think anyone in this room gets into physical altercations. <laughs> I could be wrong. But I think most of you aren't duking it out when you get upset with other people. But if you are, this is for you. <laughs> uh, but, but, but this would include also quarrels and arguments. And ask yourselves the question, do I easily get sucked into that? That, that little thing of, of, of fighting with people and arguments. Ask yourselves this question, do I start them? And here's the issue. Why does this pertain to leadership? Because people follow, who's, who, people follow who is going to fight for them, not fight them. Let's take on that heart for every person. Whether we like the person or not, our role is to fight for them. At every day, every second of every day. We're fighting for people. People want to follow that. Let's go on to the next one. The third negative not greedy for money, and what, tra what uh, the positive that, that answers to that, he, Paul says not covetous. There, again, there's no English word that would quite say it the way it, it's a positive. The closest thing that we would have in the English language would be unavaricious, but I don't know if that's shedding any more light, so let's just say not covetous. But here's the deal, guys, in terms of leadership. The pursuit of money Please hear this. The pursuit of money cannot coexist with the pursuit of God's will. I'm telling you, at some point, just like you read in Matthew chapter 6, there will be a headbutting of the two. God says, you, Jesus says, you cannot serve God and mammon. You'll either hate the one and love the other or serve the one and, and, and forsake the other. 
the pursuit of money. That comes in two forms. One would be the pursuit of more stuff and just having more whatever. And another thing would be an answer to the fear that is inside of every single person in here probably of needing a, this ethereal sense of financial security. And as a consequence, living our lives in a box to maintain or to, to try to accomplish financial security as opposed to following Jesus wherever it leads us, even if it looks or requires financial risk. Can I say your call is going to require financial risk? I prophesy in the name of Jesus. It's going, it will. And this is why it's so important. A leader cannot be greedy for money. Why? Because that is going to be the line after which that leader will not go any further. Once the financial risk, once there's, if you're greedy for money, you won't be able to hear what Jesus has to say next. Because you're not even open to it. And even if you do hear, you won't obey it. And so this is huge. And in, 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 uh, I'll just give you, out of a whole lot of examples Minda and I could share with you this morning of financial risk in response to the call of Jesus, I'll give you one that, that I think encapsulates the idea pretty well. In 2013, Minda and I had the privilege of being invited by Tyron Daniel, who leads the NCMI apostolic team, the, the apostolic team this church partners with, to come into what they call team training. And that's for people who may be invited to come on to the NCMI team, people who are recognized as having a, uh, what we call a, a, a five-fold gift uh, to the body of Christ to preach and teach and to, to equip the church. And so we were invited to this training time and honored to be there. And we went to this training time. It was the last day of three days, uh, three-day training thing. And uh, I remember we were, we were in South Africa in Johannesburg, and we, were, we knew how much it cost to get lunch that day. And we were literally, like, looking around the house for, like, a five-rand coin, um, which is, like, 50 cents kind of thing, uh, we're, to get at what we needed for lunch. That was, like, our financial position that day. You tracking? And um, so we were at this we're, – we're, we're, we're living the dream – <laughs> leading Santon City Church in Johannesburg, but it, you know, it's tough days. And uh, we go to this training at the end. Tyron comes over to me and Minda and says, you know, I really feel like uh, I want to, Nicole and I, his wife, we feel like we want to invite you guys on the team. Um, you know, we really feel like this is timing for you and, and you're right for it. And, um, but here's the thing. Uh, I know it's late notice, but in four months, in August, we're going to have a a team, a global team gathering in Denver, uh, which I was in South Africa. This is in Denver, in Denver, and, we, and you know we really want the team to 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 be there. You know, every two years, somewhere in the world, the team's going to meet. And Minda and I knew in our hearts, we are meant to be on this team. And we had been praying and asking God to give us a way to get back to America, if nothing else, so we could see my family, so that our kids could see my parents. And so we look at each other, and we know. Like, we need to do this. And we look at him and we say, we'll be there. We didn't know how we were going to buy lunch that afternoon. You follow what I'm saying? In faith, we knew this is right. It's God's call. We, this is no doubt. We're supposed to be doing this. God will provide. And that was April. 
Come June, when we had to have the tickets, something happened completely. We could have never scripted it. Something happened where there was a provision that came out of absolutely nowhere to where we were able to buy all four round-trip tickets to America. Not more than enough for that, but just enough to get us the round-trip ticket to America. All the expenses of the travel, we still didn't have that. Purchase the tickets, August comes, we get on the plane, provision comes, we have everything we need the whole trip that we're there, and yet we had no idea for at any point how any of it was going to happen. But if you were looking at us from the outside, oh, Paul and Minda, man, they're doing well, right? They're globetrotters going around the world and doing ministry, and look at them. Behind the scenes, walking on water. If we were greedy for money, no, there would be none of that testimony. I'll tell you that much. Because you're hoarding. You're keeping. Jesus operates in a realm of requiring you to trust and lean on him at every level of your call. This is why this is so important. So important. Lean not on your own understanding, uh, the, the Lord says. The pursuit of money stems from either one of two things. One, not trusting God or selfishness. Either of those things prohibits you from leading in his name. If you're going to lead people to Jesus, you've got to trust Jesus. If you're going to lead people to Jesus, you can't be selfish. That's an opportunity right here, right now, to make that place right in your heart. You don't even have to wait till the sermon is over. Right now, to turn your heart, and if there is any selfishness or not trusting God, just to say, Lord, I don't want to continue living. I don't want to limit your purpose for my earthly life because I don't trust you and, or because I'm selfish. Let's move on to the next one. But you know what? Before I move on to the next one, let me just say this. Why is this so important? Hear this. Godly leaders who, who influence on Jesus' behalf must see Jesus as worth every sacrifice required to follow him. Which puts it into perspective. What we're talking about today is not really you being so spiritual and good. It's actually how much of Jesus have you opened your heart to, to really seeing him for who he is. This other stuff is, is the natural. It's almost like that's the most important thing when it comes to leadership. In fact, it's not almost. It is. It's your seeing Jesus. All this other stuff just kind of happens as a natural byproduct. And I'm speaking to, to that place in your heart that has seen the Lord. Because that part of your heart registers what I'm saying to this morning is truth. He is worthy of being trusted. He, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. This is who he is. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all these things will be added. Most of the church tries to make sure all these things are added and then if we have time we'll seek the kingdom. And as a consequence... You stand looking up at that roof. Yep, that roof does need to be roof. Yep, I agree. They should do something about that. Never get in the game. 
Let's go on to verse 4. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. Leading a, that, all, all we're saying here, or Paul is saying, is leading a healthy family. Can I make a comment on that note? I, I, I don't want to, I, I have to say this often, but I don't want to preach the gospel of NCMI. We want to preach the, well, that's the apostolic team we partner with. We preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We preach the word of God. I think it's okay, though, that I am so excited about who we do partner with. They're, we're all fallible. I don't put my faith in NCMI, but I do feel like there are such good things. And one good thing that I can rave about is because I've been in a lot of church, and I've seen some messed up stuff in church. And with, since we've been partnering with NCMI, I literally could count on one hand at most the number of moral failings I've seen at a leadership level. Before that, I didn't know that leaders didn't end up in moral failure. <laughs> it was just par for the course in the American church. And I'm saying that right there, that is a, that, what's a word? <laughs> that is a, a, a uh, virus isn't the right, it's, it's a what? It's an, well, it's an abomination, but it's, it's a plague. I like that. It's a plague in Western church. My friends, the solution to this is so simple. The word of God, what we're reading right now. If we would make these our requirements for leadership, rather than somebody has an awesome preaching gift, rather than somebody is able to prophesy and operate in the gifts of the Spirit, rather than somebody's gone to seminary and has a theological degree, rather than somebody is connected and knows this person and that person, if we would make these things the qualifications for those who lead the flock, the whole flock is going to be so much healthier. And I'm, I want to say I, I am, I've seen one thing and I have seen another, and this stuff that we're talking about this morning works, not just for leaders, every believer. This is what Jesus is building. What we're describing right now, leading a healthy family, it is not a little, I have seen so many pastors with messed up families. They preach, they know how to get a crowd riled up, they know how to get people going, and amen, pastor, you sure did. You had the spirit this morning. Their families are messed up. Their kids hate church. There, there's disobedience at every other level. And what, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, one who rules, or presides, stands before, maintains, is the idea there, his own house well. How can we tell if, if that's the case? The end of this verse. Having his children in submission with all reverence. The idea here is... The leader, the mom, the dad, the whatever, don't demand submission. The idea, in the original language here, having a submission with all reverence, that concept, that idea, is that the child innately wants, has a respect that is in here, not just externally, for their mom and their dad. That kind of thing happens by good leadership skills. You can force, and I've seen... Cultures that place a high level of importance on children obeying, uh, honoring their elders. And I've seen in such cultures an increase of the lip service and outward, yes sir, no, no ma'am, 
outward, and then when mom and dad aren't around, it's, oh, I hate mom. She's, is that honor? I would way rather allow my sons a certain degree of casualness if in their heart they actually do have reverence for me and, and Minda and submit to us voluntarily. Is that making sense? Not because we're forcing it, because of, of genuine respect for who it is that we are, not that we're perfect. Thayer, uh, the Greek definition, with all respect, with, says this, that the, uh, the idea of that word is the characteristic of a thing or a person which entitles reverence and respect, dignity, majesty, and sanctity. It's obedience that comes from the heart. It's a product, ultimately, of leading well. A godly leader is proven first in the home. Not in Bible school. Not in community group. Firstly, in the home. If, as the next verse says, a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Can I say to you, if you're not able to influence your children towards Jesus... I'm not saying your, your kids have their own free will. They, don't, they, they aren't necessarily going to receive Jesus just because you do the right thing. But if you have not done the right thing, how are you then going to not focus on your kids and focus on those people and giving them Jesus? It starts at home. So the questions that I would want to ask all of us, whether we have kids in diapers or kids who are grown up and they've got kids with diapers, how do I fall short in parenting? I think that's a good question. Not to get navel-gazing and, and condemning of yourself, but where, where are the things that I need to pull up in my parenting? Do you know parenting is lifelong? So even after the kids go away, you need to respect the fact that they are independent adults, especially when they get married, you are the father is no longer the head of that daughter. That daughter has a, a husband, and he is responsible for her. That's, that's the biblical way. And yet, you still have the ability to influence, and even the call to influence, the whole way until one of the two parties passes away. And so there's still a, a parenting thing. And so how do, how do I, where do I need to pull up in my parenting? And the second question would be, am I making according adjustments? Or am I just continuing the same patterns? You making adjustments at that level is almost surely going to cause you to have an increased influence with other people that aren't your children. You know how David, would, I know this isn't exactly, but no, I'm not even going to go there. Because earlier I said, say as much as you can in as few words as possible. So, <laughs> yes. Verse 6, not a novice unless being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. I just want to point out that particular verse about not being a novice strictly applies and only applies to the office of leaders, leaders in, in the church. So what we're talking about this morning is not office of leadership. Excuse me, it's organic leadership influencing others. So this doesn't really apply, but let's go to the verse 7 and we'll end it here. Moreover, he must have a good testimony... Among those who are outside. What is Paul, who's Paul talking about? Outside? Who, who are the outsiders? It's talking about unbelievers. People who are not confessing believers of Jesus. 
He must have a good testimony among those who are outside unless he fall into the reproach and snare of the devil. Paul, the apostle, wanted all leaders. This is amazing. This is, this is so forgotten in most of the church today. All leaders cannot simply have a great reputation with people in the church. Why? Because you can know how to do church. You can play the church game. You can be in with the pastor or the whatever leader people. You can know how to do the church thing. If you are not influencing people outside of the church, guess what? You're not doing the essence of the call. What is the call? Go and make disciples. Not disciple them when they come in. Go. You, you hear me? This call is about outside of the church. And we build and make disciples of those who are believers of Jesus inside the church. But we don't like stop going, going and just build the people in the church. We're always going, 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 going. And when they come to faith in Christ, we disciple them. Paul said, if leaders aren't going, if they don't have influence and a good reputation outside of the church, what's going to happen to the rest of the church? They're going to be following leaders who don't have a clue how to do the Great Commission. This is how important the Great Commission is in reaching your sphere of influence. The people that you work with, the people in your neighborhood, your, your friends and family. Taking the gospel to those who do not believe. Paul wanted to make sure that... Uh, well, he, he, let me ask, let's ask these questions of ourselves, and then we'll, we'll respond to the Lord. Would unbelievers speak as highly of you as church people would? What did Paul say? Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are unbelievers or outside. Do I have a good testimony? Do people who do not care about Jesus... Do they think highly of me? That's, that's a litmus test. Would unbelievers say that you love and care for them and show them something of what Jesus is like? You see, if we're good at doing church, what happens is we have our church mode that we get into here on Sunday morning where we, it's praise the Lord and it's best behavior and we're looking good, and we're doing all that stuff. But then when we go to work, or when we're out, outside of church, then we start acting differently. And we let, we let other people see stuff in us, and we're, we kind of short fuse with that person and, and that kind of stuff. But church people would never see that side of us. You know what that is? That's hypocrisy. We don't need any more of that in the church. We need to be tried, tested, and true, real. And, and unbelievers need to sense that from us, that we're real. We're not perfect, that's not what we're talking about, but we do love. We do sacrifice for other people, not in church and outside of church, all the time. Our life is a mission. The world is a harvest field. Everybody needs to find Jesus, and they're only going to find it if one of us does something about it. Here am I, send me. 
whether I've got a microphone or if I'm mowing my front yard, which does need to happen soon. I know that, Jackie. <laughs> Can we pray?